Welcome back. It's Howl History, Derek and Chad. It's a NBA Draft Lottery Instant Reaction Edition. Uh, come along and ride with us on this fantastic voyage. Slide, slide, slippity slide. Check you out. Right? It's <laughs> <laughs> suspense. You said you knew what song you were going to do, and I was uh, uh, waiting on bated breath trying to figure out. <laughs> you never I knew it was 90s. Yeah, 90s. it has to be. <laughs> I, there's no there's no shortage of good 90s songs to uh to pull there, out here yeah it's funny because like in the 90s i was listening to more 80s music right like than that because i loved 80s music but i hated 70s music <laughs> and then now that i'm like old i look back and i'm like man 90s was really the that was the decade of music that like pick pick your genre it was all better whether you wanted the uh you know, hip hop, or you wanted like the grunge rock, or you wanted, you know, even pop music, whatever it was, it was all better in the 90s. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Grunge rock, hip hop, maybe even pop music. Pop music, I feel like you can take any decade and it's all going to be kind of equivalent. But, but like, if you're a rock and roll fan, the 90s probably weren't your time. I mean, yeah, if you're a rock and roll fan, you don't like like the Nirvana. Right. If you, if, if, you were, if you weren't into grunge, then it was, yeah, I mean. But yeah, if you're a hair metal band, that's gone by the 90s. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it picks up back, it picks back up in the early 2000s. And but all you're getting is Three Doors Down and Creed and 17 different bands that all sound exactly the same if you don't know exactly who they are. Yeah, so. but also in the 90s, you have like Coning Crows, Black Crows. They're good rock bands. I like them. I guess it depends on how you define rock, I, I suppose. Yeah, well, they're as much rock as Three Doors Down or yeah, Creed. The type of rock that you'd hear on KDWB. I mean, I don't even know because I like my KDWB listening days were are very like it's mostly just the morning show, mm-hmm. and, which is not a lot of music. And you know, I haven't listened to them in several years, but through the nineties, I don't. I was just the morning show, so like I don't even know what rock they would have played. But no, I'm guessing they played a lot of Creed. I I have no idea. Probably. <laughs> I guess I just, all like KQ all they probably all play a lot of Creed too. I still have a soft spot in my heart for Creed because I think they used Creed a lot for like the WWE promo videos. Probably. <laughs> Picture that. Yeah, lots of uh, injury recovery like Triple H has been out for 9 months with a a torn quadricep or something and Well, there's only you can only go to the ACDC well so many times it's when true. you're yep. <laughs> Do you remember when they used uh let the bodies hit the floor? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was a good one. I'll probably still have that downloaded somewhere. (laughs) Your WWE soundtrack? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm sure they they had plenty of, like, uh, albums that they put out for, like, WWE songs. And not only intro songs, but, like, songs that were just... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, actually, so, you know, off air, you and I have talked before, but other podcasts I listen to, I listen to a couple old wrestling ones with, like, uh, Bruce Pritchard, who's Brother Love, and those guys. And they talk about that, about how big of a business the music side was for both WWE and WCW where they actually had their own music label within the brands yeah, just to do albums around like the entrance themes for the wrestlers. And they would even do like compilation albums with like stone cold rocks and stuff like that, where it's just like random rock songs that stone cold may Mm -hmm, or may not have mm -hmm. picked. I don't know that he had anything to do with other than his name. But yeah, that that uh, marketing machine was—they were um, all in it, into everything. I put out a whole proposal in the mid two thousands, um, probably back when we were working together, and I was wasting time on thinking up basketball ideas rather than actually doing my work. <laughs> <laughs> it 
if you would have gotten me more stuff to do, I might have actually been efficient during that time. But uh, I put together a whole idea of a competitor league for the NBA, which was essentially a combination of the the WWE and the NBA. So it was just every player just signed a contract with the league instead of with individual teams and then got to choose who to play with together. Like they would form stables and then they'd have a team manager slash coach who would have to kind of be like the... Um, the Paul bearer of each team or whoever it happened to be. And it was just kind so of kind like, of like the way the NBA is today. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Except they, they, you don't have KD, a contract. Kyrie, with a team. Yeah. Decide they all want to play and they, they just, you know, contracts be damned. They figure out a way to get on the same team. Right. And then they, Except for super easy, uh, heel turns were, were kind of my, uh, my, the, what I was going for. So somebody that would drop the or, hammer in the middle of a game and just walk off the floor and leave his teammates exposed or surprise appearances. Like, you know, Exactly. And that's what I was thinking of. You mentioned that the music label, I was like, oh man, they could all have their own entrance music. And then all of a sudden you'd have like a surprise, like you wouldn't know that all of a sudden James Harden was going to be coming down for the Nets because nobody would have, it wouldn't have been rumor at all. He'd just show up with them one day. They'd play his entrance music. People would go crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, like Kawhi, he's out for the Clippers and then all of a sudden, you know, like. Yeah. He shows up for the the Hawks to go play Milwaukee because. Yeah. Or Jimmy Butler's music hits and he comes out for the Clippers. Right. They're not in the playoffs anymore. He he decides to jump ship and go to the Clippers. Exactly. Yep. It's just who which guys can convince their guys, and then all of a sudden you got the you know you got LeBron over like having his own team trying to fight against the super team, trying you know the kind of the the Cleveland versus Golden State thing that ended up happening. But it's just kind of a I was like they got so many good storylines over there that you wouldn't even have to manufacture it with the the personalities that are in the NBA. They do it all all on their own. But uh, that'd be a fun way to go. But in ter- in terms of a front office directed team building tonight was one of the one of the big nights of the nba calendar it was the nba draft lottery uh we were all waiting in minnesota on bated breath to see where the timberwolves would fall if they ended up in the top three they'd get to keep their pick they had about a 27 percent chance of that happening uh, if they came uh, anywhere else either four or six through nine i believe was the where they could fall in the range um, then the pick would go to golden state so obviously the the nuclear solution was or the nuclear uh occurrence was the pick falling at number four and golden state getting that um the timberwolves are slaughtered to go at six and if they move down at all then all of a sudden it wasn't looking as bad as it could have been earlier in the year but um alas the timberwolves didn't move up i think anybody listening to this by now has has already learned that that piece of news so um the eventual lottery lottery results came out detroit got the first pick um i think it's pretty clear they're going to go with cade cunningham even though i believe their their gms came out and said they're going to look at up to five players for this pick i don't think anybody's going to be uh, fooled by that to think that they're actually considering other players. Um, and then it goes Houston at number two, uh, Cleveland at number three, who has never not moved up in a lottery. Uh, Toronto moves all the way up to number four. So big jump for them. They were the, the biggest jump of the, of the lottery night. And then everything else kind of falls out, uh, in record order then. So Orlando falls to fifth, Oklahoma city falls to sixth, sixth, the Timberwolves fall to seventh, give their pick to golden state. Uh, Orlando gets eighth as well from Chicago due the due to the Nikola Vucevic trade. Um, Sacramento is at ninth, New Orleans at tenth, Charlotte at eleventh, San Antonio twelfth, the Pacers at thirteenth, the Golden State Warriors get their second pick of the lottery at fourteenth. So uh, seven and fourteen for Golden State. The Andrew Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell trade is now complete. It's uh, Wiggins and pick seven in this upcoming draft for D'Angelo Russell. Uh, Chad, how you feeling about that? How is, uh, has that changed your view on the trade at all? No, I, I would still pull that trigger today. I mean, you know, most number seven picks are solid, but not franchise-changing players. 
And to get a, get out from that Wiggins deal, I don't. I mean, give, if I had to give up Jarrett Culver to get rid of Wiggins, I'd do that every day of the week. Right. <laughs> you know. Now, whoever the Warriors take this year will probably be better than Jarrett Culver, but uh, you know, I'm not. Uh, I mean, they'll land somewhere between Jared Culver and Stephen Curry. It, nobody knows where they're actually going to yeah, end up. That's a, that's a big, right. big swap. I mean, and it does feel better that it was a seventh pick than the fourth pick. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because I think there's, after the top four players in this draft, it's still a good draft, but it, there is a drop-off after those top four. So if they would have got the fourth best player, um, who's arguably in the, you know, the third, also the third best player, you never know who's going to go three, who's going to go four. I think... The yeah, top so. two guys are probably set, but um, between three and four, I don't know that, you know, who who will necessarily go there. So if they ended up with like a Suggs, who would be a, a local guy at four, mm-hmm. that would sting a little more than whoever they're going to end up with at seven. Yeah. So um, it's a bummer in the sense that, you know, like you hope the Wolves can get lucky and get add that pick and then either use that in a trade. Um, but, you know. It would oh, have opened well. up, up a lot more options this offseason is what it would have done. They're, I mean, they're, we're going to talk a lot about this offseason and what the options are and some of the fun things that could be potential uh, transactions. But at the same time, we're, I mean, we're really talking about a team that's capped out, that doesn't have a lot of tradable pieces and has kind of you know tied themselves or put themselves into a corner with their ability to make roster moves. So they're going to have to kind of pull a rabbit out of a hat to make significant changes this offseason, no matter... Uh, how many fun ideas we come up with. It's not going to be that easy. So um, with, if they had gotten a top three pick this offseason, not only could they have just taken that player and gotten another valuable young player on their roster, it would have given, given them another bullet in the chamber in terms of roster building and trying to, to move forward there. So um, yeah, I think it's definitely a, it's a shame. It's a bummer that we didn't get it. And I know that it's, it's very nice to not go into next season, going through this whole rigmarole again, waiting to see where we're going to end up and, you know, knowing we have an unprotected pick, but at the same time, if we expect the Wolves to be better next season than they were this season, and even with health, they just will be. I don't know if that means they're going to be better than the seventh pick in the draft because there are lots of good teams in the NBA, but we, I think we are hoping at least that next year's pick would be significantly lower than this year's pick could have been. So, um, And there'll be teams that fall too. I mean, like Portland, who knows what's going to happen there. They could be... They could be a top four team if they, you know, make a significant move or they could blow things up, you know, so they could be a team that drops out of the playoff hunt. Um, but I think you have to expect Golden State will be back if Clay's healthy, whatever, you know, they're going to have two lottery picks in addition to Clay coming yep. back. So they're more than likely and they were they were a borderline playoff team this year. So they'll they'll probably be in there. So but yeah, I mean, it is the West is always tough. So. I mean, if you're going to make bets on which team is going to fall below their over-under, it's always going to be the Wolves. <laughs> I can't remember the last time the Wolves actually beat their over-under. So and until we are one of the teams that consistently overachieves or we prove that we're a consistent playoff team, there should be no hesitation to just assume that everybody else is going to be a little bit more successful than we are. they got to prove it before we start expecting it, at least. And what was their over-under this year, remind me? Was it 30? It was just under. I think it was 29 and a half. Okay. So they came up. They came up short. I mean, once again, Fairly it was, it was, it was, it was health related, and they yeah. dealt with a lot of crap. But it seems like they deal with a lot of crap every off every year. So there's always something. Part, part of the charm of this franchise. It's true. Well, anyway, do you want to walk through the the different teams and talk through what we think they might do, or do we just want to move on to more wolves related stuff? 
I think probably more Wolves related stuff at this point. I, I think it's a little early to do. It. I mean, I, you know, we'll cover a lot of that as we do a draft. Yeah. Episode and stuff anyway. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the draft before the draft anyway. Um, I think it's a little too fresh to kind of pick what each team's going to do. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. when there's all these rumors of, you know, star or near star level players potentially being on the move. Some of those teams might not even be picking where they're at currently. Yeah. So, I mean, so one of the one of the targets that the Wolves might have gone after if they had gotten one of those top three picks is uh, the oft-rumored to be available Ben Simmons right now coming off of a very uh, unfortunate series against the Atlanta Hawks in which he essentially cost his team game seven and was thrown under multiple buses by his teammates and coach in the post-game press conferences. Um, his stock has fallen. I don't believe it's probably fallen uh, within the NBA as much as it's fallen among the fan bases. So Twitter GMs, I'm sure, are trying to get him for much cheaper than he would eventually go for in a trade. But I don't see how he ends up, how he, how he comes back to Philadelphia next offseason. Do you see any chance that he's still on that roster? No, I think it, I think they've, you know, gone scorch earth policy on uh, Ben yeah. Simmons as a sixer. And I think it's mostly unfair. I mean, I just, it's funny to me that you, the other night I was talking to somebody else and they're they were talking about how bad Simmons was and whatnot and, you know, how he needs to score more. And I'm like, you know, what, Dennis Rodman didn't score mm-hmm. and they won championships. And you know, if the Sixers brought him in to be the Paul George to Embiid's Kawhi, I mean, I know they're completely different players, but to be a second scoring player, that that's not his, that was never going to be his game for anybody that fell in love with what Ben Simmons could do. So I just think it's kind of silly to blame him for that. And, and then tonight watching the lottery and you see Ben Wallace, who just got announced that he'll be in the Hall of Fame there for Detroit and I'm like there's another guy who's in the Hall of Fame who was a champion who wasn't a scorer you know you don't have to be a scorer God knows there's plenty of scorers in this league that all they offer you is scoring and nothing else and what the Wolves wouldn't want a guy like that for I mean all we you know the Beasley's the Delos these guys that all they do is score and that's great to have but you know at some point you need to have somebody that can do all the things that Simmons does which is everything else yeah you know the problem with the situation in Philadelphia is that they don't have anybody that can just go get a bucket. Like they have him beat on the low block and he's trying to s- stretch out his range so that he can provide more room for Simmons because Simmons doesn't have any range. He's not willing to take outside jump shots. He's not willing to take jump shots at all, but they don't have the team around him that can help him succeed. Tobias Harris can't make more than two dribbles in any move. He's not a one-on-one scorer. And then their be- other best offensive player, at least in this last series was Seth Curry and he's just a spot-up shooter. I mean, he's going to do a little bit. He did a lot more this series than he has for his entire career, but at the same time, he's not going to run your offense for you. So to continue to ask Ben Simmons to be your offense generator but not be able to shoot is just unfair to him. It's just not a team built around giving him a chance to succeed. It's it's flawed. Yeah, the team is flawed, and that's part of, like, look, this is this is where I have these issues with some of these guys that have been anointed as the next big things in the NBA. Embiid, for as good as he is, he's got holes to his game mm-hmm. where he can't be a Jordan or a Kobe or a LeBron-esque superstar that you know you can fit any number of combinations around him. You have to have very specific pieces around him because of the the holes to his game where. Um, in some ways, I mean, he's a better defensive player than Cat, but Cat and Ben Simmons would work terrific yeah. together, I think, because of Cat's got a, is a much 
more um, dynamic offensive player than Embiid. So, you know, that's that's as on Embiid as much as it is on Simmons. Embiid wants to be a superstar, uh, MVP caliber guy. Well, guess what comes with that? Having to shoulder the load. And if he can't shoulder the load, why is that on Simmons? Who's nobody's calling him the MVP. Nobody's saying it's his team. It's Embiid's team. You know, so that's why I just I think it's a little unfair to Simmons to take all the heat. You know, if that was LeBron's team and they fell flat, they're not blaming, I mean, hell, when he was in Cleveland, they weren't blaming Kevin Love. They weren't blaming Kyrie Irving. If they fell flat, they were blaming LeBron James. Mm -hmm. And rightfully so. If you get that cachet of being that elite guy, it's the same argument I have with the Kevin Durant situation wherever he goes. You know, you go to a loaded team in Golden State. If you fall flat, to me, that's on Durant. They won without him. And if they can't win with them, you know, and now in Brooklyn, they didn't win. And I know Kyrie was hurt, but that team, they still had a Blake Griffin who had a resurgence in the playoffs. They had um, James Harden, who was, you know, also compromised, but you're playing Milwaukee as well. It's not, Milwaukee's not, it's not like playing in the West. Like if he had to play a a finals game in the West, it's going to be a lot tougher competition. So these guys that are anointed stars and sort of gifted this, this um, sort of reputation of being the next big thing without having to win or shoulder load on their own, it, it, it's changed, right? Like you have, it, like Charles Barkley still gets ripped today for not winning titles, and he did more for his teams than, than these guys that we're talking about. And it's like that era is gone. Now the era is, well, they, we decided this guy's a star, so let's get him all the help we can so that our our beliefs that he's a star come true rather than the guy getting actually just taking over the game and, you know, becoming what he, what all these people have already said he is. And, and Bede and Durant are two of those guys that I think have that, uh, they've been given all the, the slack up to this point. And, you know, the part of them being out is on them. I think, I think we just set a new record for, 18 minutes before unprompted Durant slander. <laughs> well, there, the, the, the correlation is very similar to me because, you know, Durant and, and, you know, you and I had a couple of uh, texts back and forth after they were eliminated, but, and he had, he played a great game, but, you know, look, I, I, I saw the clip on Twitter of the bulls when Jordan passed up the shot to Paxson to, to win a game mm-hmm. seven. Sometimes superstars have to pass the ball and let somebody else win the game for them. But Durant can't can't do that. He has to be the guy. And had he made it, it would be a different conversation. But he missed three shots down in a row down the stretch. And he airballed the final shot. So my only point on Durant is he's a very good player. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is show me the last time Michael Jordan airballed a shot in Game 7 to go home, get sent home. Show me when Kobe airballed the shot in game seven to get sent home. Show me when uh, Steph Curry, all these guys that Durant's already been elevated to their level or above, like, and then he falls flat and everybody just finds every excuse in the world for, oh, he was tired. Well, Jordan wasn't tired. Jordan didn't play overtime or double overtime games. You know, like, so, uh, you know, just put place him where he should be, which is a notch below those guys because he's not one of those guys. And until he can win on his own, I don't know how people can put him in those levels. So, and, and Embiid's a little bit like that for me. I mean, Embiid's not Hakeem. You know, no, Hakeem, mm, no. he's, and, you know, and Embiid's a little, you don't have as many Embiid apologists as you do Durant apologists, mm-hmm. but it's like Durant, you can't, 
criticize a guy at all without people flipping out because I, I just don't get it. I just don't get what the guy's done to earn that sort of um, free pass every time he screws up. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean... Okay, I could spend like 10 minutes on Durant. We're not going to do that. It would make it this too long. Um, in terms of Embiid, he's probably the second best defensive center in the league. I mean, he's he's got to be behind Gobert, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and no, I mean, ignoring what the Clippers just did to Utah in the playoffs by playing, you know, five out and just completely destroying Gobert's ability to impact a series. Um, well, that's coaching more than... It is. Coach- I mean... Yeah. Gobert has it. And he also needs to be able to move around a little bit better. And he's so he's not perfect, but he's he's as close as you're going to get as a center. And Embiid is still right up there. He's he's an amazing yep. defensive center, but offensively, as good as he can be, he's he doesn't have. I mean, he's not even he's not to the level of Cat, and he's especially not to the level of a guy like Jokic, who has the the Tim Duncan or the Hakeem Olajuwon counters on counters on counters. Like these guys who i mean like a guy like tim duncan he was an all-time legend because on he on offense and on defense he could control the game and offensively even though he wasn't able to stretch he never had the range he was never a three-point shooter except for one big shot against phoenix in the playoffs it was you could just feed him the ball in the same spot every single time and he would just react to the defense and play through that and know exactly where his teammates were going to be he would know what to do depending on what the defense did to him you couldn't rattle him you couldn't take him out of his game he was always going to be efficient. He was always going to find a way to impact it. And Embiid isn't at that level offensively, especially. No, no. He he tries he tries to move the ball. He tries to do a little bit too much himself. I mean, the eight turnovers a game over the last two games of that series, I'm not going to say we're 100% like indicative of poor play, but just the fact that whether it was the roster around him or his need to be the guy when he didn't when he shouldn't have been the guy i don't know exactly what it was but there there's a problem there and he isn't able to react to a defense he's able to just decide what he's going to do and try to Im- impose his will and most of the time yeah. he can do that yeah and i think you know w- with Embiid and and durant but i'm not i won't go back on durant whole path but with for me i don't blame those guys for what happened because they are what i think they are like they've shown me again what i thought they were anyway mm-hmm. and that is guys who can't carry the team on their back themselves they do need help they need other really good players like Le- lebron now the davis part aside because davis was a, a top tier player um but you know lebron's won with more flawed rosters than either of those guys have right now and, and so, and I'm not even like the biggest LeBron fan mm-hmm. there is, but you, like you just, you have to look at what that guy's accomplished versus what they are. And so when you can't, you can't put them at the same level as LeBron when they haven't done it yet and then make excuses for them when they don't. And so I, I agree with you on your point with Embiid. I don't blame him for that loss. I, I agree with you hundred percent that that team is a little bit flawed. It's, it's really close though. Like mm-hmm. it's not like I would blow that team up and start over um i you know i mean if they can get a damian lillard that team is probably the favorite to win the championship next year that's sure. how close they are um in my opinion but they you know but i also think if, if they can they, get a damian lillard they're they're the favorite and that's how close they are like how many teams well, could no, you say if they added if a damian up, lillard i'm saying if you're giving up ben simmons if you're giving up sure. ben simmons and getting damian lillard somehow um but you know i don't i mean look that's that's what Look, Brooklyn has 
three guys of that caliber. Yeah. And Philly has two, and and people are taking Simmons off down list. a notch, yeah. saying he's not one of those guys. And I think I still think he is, but what he offers you isn't what's blatantly obvious when you're watching a game, which is high scoring averages. You know, I I just think that's the most overrated stat. That's why I always say that. You know, I think you can find lots of guys that can score. I think you can find other one on one guys. I you know, I don't think that's they could have gotten a Jamal Crawford or somebody on their team and played him off the bench and, and a guy like that could have got hot and helped that team a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think they're that far off. It could be a much lesser player than they could have gone after Kemba Walker. They could have got him pretty cheap and he could have helped that team because he's another guy whose stock dropped because of the, his play in the playoffs with the Celtics. But he also, it, it was a bad fit yeah. scenario there, you know? And um, that, you know, and that kind of going into what when we get start getting into the offseason stuff for the Wolves, that that those are the kind of guys I look for. Or the guys that, you know, 12 months ago, everybody was so excited about having on their squads. And then all of a sudden, one bad playoffs. Because, like, Simmons wasn't bad in the, the round previously. It was just this one round. He had a rough stretch. He does get a little tight, you know, and yep. he doesn't want to shoot and whatever. But it's not like he's a net negative on the floor. He's still doing other things to help your team. Um, you know, I, so I don't think that team's that hard to figure out. Like if you're, I'd rather be in their situation than a lot of team situations. And I think most people would. Well, know. I mean, and that's what even I think Daryl Morey said is that they, you know, there are 27 teams that would trade spots with the 76ers right now. And I think that's true. It's just, how do you improve the 76ers from where they are right now? And without trading Ben Simmons. And I don't know if anybody has an answer on that because you can't trade Tobias Harris. He's owed $35 million a year. And the next best player they have is Seth Curry, you know, at two years at $8 million a year. But with the way he played in this last series, he was, he's proven himself to be such a value on that contract. They couldn't move him. I mean, especially not for something that would fit better. They need what he provides. So I don't see how they get better from here without just running it back and trying to hope that another year of growth or, a shot doctor can fix Simmons's ability to stretch the floor, give him a little bit more, whatever, like, but I think, you know, Sixers fans especially are tired of that. You know, after four years of watching the same thing over and over again of playoff failures and um, letting Jimmy walk after the one year where he was going to be the lead, the alpha ball handler and the, the dominant offensive player that they really needed to round yeah, out that was, roster. Letting Jimmy go was probably a mistake. Yeah. You know, Letting them go and I mean turning that into Horford and Josh Richardson and then all of a sudden Josh Richardson becomes Seth Curry and Horford is gone. You know they really didn't get much for any of it. So no, and I think that's where the flaw started was that they said, you know, to your point, you're saying what you identify and I tend to agree that they need is somebody that can play one on one Mm -hmm. and and get their own shot. I I think what they deemed they needed was. They had their dominant post guy in Embiid. They wanted to surround him with shooters and Ben Simmons. You know, Ben Simmons kind of initiated the offense, and then around that would be guys like Curry and, and Harris who can hit knockdown threes when teams are doubling or sometimes tripling Embiid. You know, the problem is like Embiid gets triple teamed less than Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. Carl Anthony Towns is triple teamed almost every possession. And it was starting to get less when Dilo came back. Um, you know, and we'll see when when we have a full team with Beasley too, because it's going to be hard to triple team him when you got Beasley, D'Lo, and Ant all yeah. out there. But on the for the Sixers, you know they're usually only double teaming Embiid, which is still it's an advantage if you can get it to the guy. But um, you know 
that's what they decided their offense was going to be. And then when they got brought Doc in, I think they thought coaching would be able to do the thing. And I think coaching would be. I just think Doc wasn't. I think Doc's a good coach. I don't think he was the right coach for that team. And uh, or for at least for that roster, um, the way it was constructed. So, um, you know, we'll see. But, uh, you know, there'll be some surprise players that are, you know, mid-level kind of guys that I think they can get. Um, add one guy that can, you know, mm-hmm. be, be, I mean, like a Beasley type player would be great. Now they're going to get Beasley for the mid-level now, but a year ago they could have, you know, and, or two years ago. Um, so there'll be somebody like that available. Yeah. They'll bring somebody in and, you know, you're always trying to hit on somebody. It's just most teams have to take three or four swings before they get a hit, you know, and you try to build it up over a period of time. And it's hard when you're in your, it's time to win a championship window to really, you know, settle on the mid-level and say well you know what the only thing we can do to improve is use our you know our nine and a half million dollar mid-level to go choose one guy and try to make them be the the difference maker but i mean which is why i think simmons is gone i I just i think they are looking at that roster and saying okay well you know it's easy to move them now because the fans have dumped them yep um and they're gonna look at it and it's not he wasn't maury's guy anyway and and they're maury's gonna you know, make some trade that's going to end up being beneficial for them because that's what he does. So I I don't know what that deal looks like. I just keep coming back to CJ McCollum and I don't think that's going to be the only thing they get. It's, you know, it'll probably be a multi-team deal, whatever. But um, I I just, that's the type of guy, maybe it's Bradley Beal, you know, that they add. And if you, if you swap Simmons for Beal, I also think they're one of the favorites to win it. No, I know Brooklyn, if Brooklyn's healthy, they still have, you know, an overwhelming amount of offense to overcome. But the one thing that Philly has that Brooklyn doesn't is Embiid. That center position is a huge advantage for Philly. And when it comes to the playoffs, it, that becomes even more crucial. So, you know, that would be an interesting series next year if if that's kind of how things sh- shook out. Yeah, it would have been an interesting series this year, um, except Ben Simmons imploded and everybody got hurt in Brooklyn and Milwaukee ended up pushing through and all of a sudden Atlanta's in the Eastern Conference Finals. But I mean you said earlier um Philadelphia had this vision of shooters around, you know, Simmons and Embiid, but do you think they ever would have picked Simmons and Embiid as the, the optimal two man pairing to to surround shooters with? I, I I just don't think those two have ever really worked together and they've been kind of forced into it because that was the talent that they had. Well, they've kind of changed GMs now multiple times since that pick right like that was um uh what's his name the process trust process guy that that got Pinky. both of them yep Pinky. and then they I went don't, i don't know if he ever saw that take off though was he around no, no, long no. Enough? I, yeah. I get that but that was his vision yeah so we don't know it's like when flip drafted towns we never really got to see what flip's vision was because flip yeah passed away hinky same kind of deal i think he had a vision that i would have trusted mm-hmm. pardon the pun more than what they did, you know, they went and got Elton Brand. Well, they Elton Colangelo for a while. Oh, that's right. Colangelo first. Yeah. And, and then Brand. And now Maury, essentially. And they did the kind of moves that you kind of criticize them for, like the, you know, Butler for Horford and Richardson and things like that. It's like, what would have, what would Hinky have done differently? And I think it would be a very different roster right now. Are still around Simmons and Embiid. I think that was sort of the, you know, Colangelo Brand vision is what you're seeing yeah. now. Yeah. And I think once Maury, now Maury's the one-on-one guy, right? He likes that 
dominant ball handler, guy that can break down defenses. So it's going to be a different roster next year because the roster that they have in place is not a Maury-style offense or Maury-style team. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, he'll still have Embiid, but I think, you know, you and I talked about this on one of our earliest episodes about uh, who would we want to start a franchise with between Embiid and Simmons? And you and I both agreed Simmons. I still would probably take Simmons over Embiid. Because it, it's tough. It's a lot tighter than it was when we talked yeah, about Yeah, I mean, I'd say Embiid is better right now. I think if you're looking at Simmons at 24 years old and Embiid at 27 with the leg issues he's had in the past, it would be tough to... It would be closer. I mean, I I would it's probably tough. say Embiid right now just because he's so much at a higher level with his peak. But it, I, it would, I, I would say Simmons is in that the position he plays is harder to replicate than getting a, a competent big man. Um, you know, you're not going to get an Embiid level big man, yeah. obviously. Just, I, I, you know, he might be the most well-rounded big man in the league, but if you, you can get a, I don't know, Andre Drummond or somebody and have him next to him. Oh, that's an atrocious offense. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is it's it, a worse it, fit. As a defensive player, and then your your other three guys are are completely different. Yeah. Um. I I just it, to me Simmons is more unique, I guess, because yeah. of the position he plays and the skill set he brings. So yeah, I mean the the rumored targets or the rumored uh, trades that have been out there in terms of that have actually gained some traction have been CJ McCollum, like you brought up, because Portland needs to make a change this off season. But we're not going to really know what they're going to want to do until they actually bring in a coach and we figure out what system they're going to want to run and they get kind of a commitment from Dame that he's going to stick around for another year, you know, for a couple more years. Um, they, I think they're, the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum backcourt has kind of run its course in terms of getting as far as they can go the same way that Simmons and Bede seem to have. Um, so that would make a lot of sense. Um, heading into this postseason, you never would have gotten Ben Simmons for just CJ McCollum. I don't know if Philadelphia would be able to squeeze them for draft picks or whatever else it would happen to be to maybe, you know, maybe they can, swap another contract for a Robert Covington or something like that to get another player back that played well there and might space the floor a little bit better. But um, he's been one of the rumored names. And then Zach Levine from Chicago, because he got Vucevic uh, as a center in Chicago, he would actually, you know, be able to play on the perimeter, give Levine a little bit, or give uh, Ben Simmons a little bit more space. Um, and then it would give them some, a defensive presence on that team that they, they don't really have. So, uh, but at the same time, Chicago may very well say after watching Ben Simmons, this, you know, the, during this postseason and the multiple postseasons before, like, now we're okay. We have our all-star and he's, you know, making 19 and a half million, 20 million this upcoming season. He's going to ask for a contract extension, but Ben Simmons also has four years at 35, $40 million a piece coming up too. So why, you know, we'll happily pay Zach Levine, you know, whatever he's going to ask for when Simmons isn't going to be a, a cheap uh, alternative anyway. So, um, so those are the big, if you wanted to go for one for one and Philadelphia was going to continue the Maury trend of star hunting to try to put a big name you know, on his roster, he's, you know, he's never going to be the guy that trades a, a dollar for, for three quarters, um, to try to improve his roster. He's always going to be going after stars. So I don't know exactly what direction he'll go in, but one name that's, or one trade that's been rumored and thrown out there a couple times by ESPN personalities, not only by, uh, the talking head of Kendrick Perkins, but also by the, the well, uh, well thought of Zach Lowe on the, the low post, but it has been a, a Minnesota trade with, uh, D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley being the trade targets to swap for Ben Simmons. And then there would have to be something else coming back from Philadelphia to round out the contracts. I don't know what that would end up being because I doubt they would just make it a simple two for two with, um, 
Seth Curry. He's really the only contract they have that would fit there unless you want to take on George Hill just to make the contracts work. But um, but that's that's been thrown out there a couple times now, so it's actually gaining some national media attention. And I would have said pre-lottery that it had a better chance of happening. If the Wolves had gotten a top three pick, they could have rounded out that you know the their rock their starting roster or starting lineup um with that with that draft pick if they had Simmons and Cat and Edwards and Jaden McDaniels in the first four spots then they could have rounded out that that starting lineup but um I don't know Chad what are you thinking now that we know we don't have that that pick coming in any any interest in in moving on with something like that any counters to it that you could think of well I, the Beasley and D'Lo it seems a little too rich for me um and I don't think the Wolves would do it uh, just because I, th- I definitely think Beasley will be shot this year because I, I've always felt like once they signed that deal for him, that that would be the contract that they would try to package with, in their mind, ideally a top three pick that they could then package for another star player. Um, that pick's gone. So now, you know, maybe they do have to consider moving D'Lo. I just think it'd be a really tough move to make because of the relationship between D'Lo and Cat. I know Simmons and Cat are also close, but Simmons and D'Lo are also close. So I think that the dream there would be to add Simmons to D'Lo and Cat, not in expense of D'Lo. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I like it from Philly's side, if I can get, especially both of them, um, because I, you know, I guess, where would you rank D'Lo versus CJ McCollum? Because uh, of the, if those are, you know, two of the names that are out there, I mean, I, I like CJ, but I think I'd rather have D'Lo if I'm Philly. Yeah, I think their reputations around the league would be probably pretty similar. That's kind of what I'm wondering. I think D'Lo can be a true point guard. I think he can be a true ball handler. I don't think CJ has that ability, even though CJ might be more of a proven winner, at least proven postseason success. Mm-hmm. So that reputation is always going to go with the guy and carry him to you know have a higher cachet within the league but um, I don't think you could bring in CJ and ask him to be a point guard on your team so they would still need somebody in their lineup to do that so losing Ben Simmons and not bringing in a point guard would just give them another hole they need to fill you know so a CJ McCollum or a Zach Levine would I mean and even a Malik Beasley would duplicate what I think they're getting out of Seth Curry right now I'm not sure if Curry can be a long-term starter I mean at what is he six two? And I know he's what one of, if not the best shooters in the league. But I don't know if he has enough of a well-rounded game. He's going to get hunted by any team on defense. So, I mean, so is Malik Beasley if you put him in a playoff situation. But, um, but yeah, I think D'Lo would be a better fit for what they need. Somebody that can really handle the ball, run the pick and roll with Embiid, you know, play that two-man game and really get an offense moving and you know sling it around the floor and get other people involved rather than just being a a go-to scorer. He can, he can do both. So right. CJ's probably Any a little bit better as that, as that go-to scorer, if that's exactly, if that's all, all they need, but that's what they really, that's what they really need if they keep Simmons. So if Simmons is out of there, they need somebody else that can spread the floor and can actually get other players involved. Cause that was Simmons's job. Right. Right. And then you throw in Beal. I think Beal of the three is probably the most desirable, but again, easily, you're... but they're not going to get Beal for Simmons anymore. You're in the same same boat, though. You still don't have a point guard than if you get Beal. So, um, and, and no, but Beal as a lead ball handler, I think, has taken multiple steps ahead of where C.J. McCollum is. 
he he's gonna he has the ability to run your team and and your offense and be that primary ball handler. At, you know, any time a point guard isn't on the floor, and I'm not saying you want him doing it 82 games a year or but, in the playoff. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not. But it's a Devin Booker type thing. Like Devin Booker is handling himself without Chris Paul right now. I'm not saying he could do it for four rounds and win a championship that way. But against a Clippers team that doesn't have Kawhi Leonard, he has the ability to step in and and play that role. Payne's put in some pretty good minutes for him. Yeah, he has. And and Philly doesn't have anybody like that off the bench either. You know, so it is, it is. uh, I mean, so that's the thing you brought up Doc earlier, like, they have Shake Milton. They have Kokmaz. They've got guys on the off the bench who they could have just thrown out there for four or five minutes and seen if they had it that night. Like they didn't even try. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah, mean, they yeah. got. I mean, who's who's the rookie that they had this year uh, from Kentucky? Maxi. Uh, yeah. They had they had the Maxi game. The only reason they were still in this series was because Maxi saved them one of the games. So they, they went away and they went away from him. So. Yeah. It's it's weird, you know, and and they're not the only team that Milwaukee's played with a short bench. Um, you know, it's there's been it's been weird. I I just don't get it either. You you have these guys who have been strong for you throughout the season, and you know you don't go. I mean, I don't, I, I blank on the scenario that I you and I were texting about the other night, but I was I used similar thinking or similar logic for my, that scenario where it's just like you try to get as many guys who can get hot, and you hope that not all of them are having off nights. Right. And so it was for one of those trades, you know, why would team X trade two guys for one, you know, for yeah. one Ben Simmons. So it's like, or why would Philly take two guys that are lesser caliber players than Simmons for, for Simmons. And it's the idea is you have two guys who can score now in the playoffs. And even if one of them's off, you still have one more score than you did with Simmons because Simmons wasn't, yeah, I want to score. So it's it is weird, but yeah, then you get these coaches that are just you know they sort of don't use those kind of extra weapons anyhow, you know. And you look at like Atlanta has done the opposite. They've gone with hot hands. They've got mm-hmm. they've had other guys step up, and well, and the Clippers too. Ty Lue has coached his ass off during this playoffs and made adjustments. I mean, you know, and I you know when Lou was getting a lot of accolades, I'm like, oh come on, you know that team is pretty stacked. Right. Yeah. But then when Kawhi went down and they looked arguably better, you know, because Paul George was actually playing out of his mind. And, you know, then it's like, okay, well now Ty Lue's coaching his butt off, you know, Mm -hmm. he's doing a really, I mean, he's made some of the best adjustments, Uh, you know, and then Nate McMillan who took the job mid season has coached his tail off. You know I mean? It's just, there's been some really good coaching and there's been some really bad coaching in the playoffs. And the really bad coaching has come from guys you expected to be really good coaches, you know, like doc. Yep. So, I mean, if we're looking at the Wolves, we talked earlier about how Simmons and Embiid would not be a two-man pairing that you'd actually pick if you had your choice of any players in the league. But if there's any team that's actually built for Simmons to be successful on, it's oddly the Minnesota Timberwolves. Even if you were to trade too much for him, they have a guy that they plan on being a primary scorer in Anthony Edwards, what Philadelphia doesn't have right now, a guy that you can give the ball to and can create a shot. They have a center who's... I can't say he's on Embiid's level anymore. That ship has sailed until Cat comes back, plays a full season, and proves that he can get into the playoffs. But he was considered right up there, and if he's not with Embiid, he's one he's one small tier below. And but he fits so much better in his ability to space the floor and 
you know, give the open up the lane the same way that he helped Ant succeed this year. He would also help Ben Simmons succeed because he doesn't have to be planted in the middle and taking up that space. Um, and then giving if, up, if you give up Beasley and D'Lo, that sort of tightens things around Simmons again because now, you know, you're really banking on Ant becoming an elite three point shooter, which is probably a better than 50 50 shot now after what I've seen, at least mm-hmm. in my opinion. This year, he, he, we, I wouldn't have thought that going into the year that he would have become as good as he had. Um, but you have your other guard coming off the bench then would be Ricky Rubio, yeah. who's very Simmons-like. Well, at, you know, and, at this point, Ricky Rubio is either starting or Ben Simmons is playing, your, you know, being your starting point guard, right. in which case you don't have a power forward. Right. And so, yeah, you know, maybe maybe it's, uh, you know, you have Jaden McDaniels playing the three mm-hmm. and I mean, and, it's, it's a monster lineup with Cat Simmons and Jaden McDaniels all on the floor at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if he, if Simmons is playing point guard and you bring in a, a traditional center or power forward too, then it's, it's a huge team. The kind of the way that Philadelphia was going to go when they had Horford. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, you, you do lose a lot of shooting between. And, and you make and it league. tough. Yeah. You make it tough on that. Whoever that fifth guy is, because if it's, if you're going to get a point guard, you almost can't have Ricky being the starting point guard because you mm-hmm. need another shooter. Yep. So you'd have to go get another point guard that can shoot. And if it's a power forward, then you need a power forward who can shoot, not a power forward who can be a rim protector because it's you're not going to find one that does both for yep. whatever you left um, in terms of, you know. Yeah, mid-level shit. exception or whatever happens to be. Yeah, or and play. I mean, and you also don't want somebody who's going to be blocking up that lane, which is why you traded for Ben Simmons in the first place. So You might be starting Wancho. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, he that would be the type of player you'd be looking for, which would yep. kill me inside. But at the same time, if he could ever find his three-point stroke again, then maybe he'll fit better. But um, but yeah, so I pre-draft lottery, if you could have told me you had one of the top three picks, I would have said this makes a lot of sense because either you're at third and you bring in Jalen Suggs to be the point guard, and he's a two-way point guard, and he, you know he can not only hit the open shot, he can be a floor general, he can play good defense. Um, and you know, you got that spot taken care of, or you bring in Evan Mobley to play power forward and he's kind of a stretch big and he's not a three point shooter yet, but he's got the ability to, to take a step out and he'll get there someday. Or, you know, with the best of scenarios, you got Cade Cunningham, you put him in any position, you got four guys on the floor, four, four guys on the floor who can switch one through four, if not one through five. So, um, that would have made a ton of sense. I think with that rumor, if the Timberwolves had had that one more, asset available to them to round out the starting roster or the starting lineup but um but I, I guess i don't really see them going that direction without i mean without pushing to have you know a guy like curry returned as a second piece in which case also in philadelphia is giving up simmons and a their fourth best player you know in that trade so we're giving up two of our four best players yeah but they won 50 games and we won 25 so yeah but ours were both out significant amounts of yeah. time. The two, you know, I mean, I, Philly's obviously better. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I get that, but I, I'm just saying it's that's why it makes it steep. Now, like if I look at it, if I forget the trade, what you're giving up. If I look at the core four guys being Ant, Simmons, Cat, and Jade McDaniel's, that's really intriguing. Now, but the rest of that team became weaker because yeah. you lost, you know, one of your top four guys and Beasley that you that I wouldn't have wanted to give up. Or do you, you know, either well, way. I mean, you used every bullet that you had to fill a spot that, there to improve a spot that wasn't your one of your weakest spots. Yeah, see, my trade scenario for that would have been Beasley, Rubio, and the pick mm-hmm. for Simmons. 
keeping D'Lo. Yep. And Cat. It's then that, then you have D'Lo, Cat, and Simmons. Right. Uh, then your you starting know, lineup is done. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I went that direction too, and it would that would would have made sense to me, especially if it had been third, because if you keep D'Lo, you don't necessarily need a Suggs. You you know you're kind of looking at a you know a redundant player. So moving that pick along with the contracts to bring in Ben Simmons a power forward. Or somebody can be the primary ball handler when Simmons or when Russell's off the floor or is moving over to shooting guard, whatever it happens to be. That would have made a ton of sense too. Um, so I agree with you. I looked at that quite a bit as well. But um, alas, no pick this year. So um, Rosas actually went on the radio after the after the lottery and just did a couple quick interviews. And I think the main talking points were largely that um, Balmero has a Leandro Balmero has a possibility of coming over next year. I think that's something that we've all kind of talked about and and been wondering about whether he's going to be a one-year, two-year guy. I think the chances of him coming over next year were significantly improved by the fact that we're not bringing over or that we're not drafting in the top three. There's a Although Rosas has said multiple times that he expects them to come over. Because um, I've, I've seen other interviews a month or two ago where he um, might have been with Doogie. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget who, but he had said then that he would expect Bomaro to come over. So, you know, that was even before the, the lottery came out. Um, so, to me, sounds like that they had. Yeah, sounds like they're I, planning I, on them. Yeah, and Woj actually during the, the lottery tonight did say the Wolves were one of the teams that if they get kept their pick, that they'd trade it to try to get another star. Um, so you know that looks like a package of multiple players. So you would need Bomaro to right, yeah, know, just I, be a warm body. If they had gotten the first pick and Cunningham had, had been drafted and added to the roster, I'm not sure if there's a spot for him unless you make a, a three-for-one trade elsewhere, um, you know, for a guy like Simmons or whatever it happens to be. But, uh, but what the, if they weren't going to – what if they, the Wolves got the first pick and they would have no intention of even keeping it even for Kate Cunningham? You know, I mean, they, yeah, yes. If they do trade the pick no matter where it is, then, yes, it makes more sense. But, uh, but yeah, I think all, all, all said and done – that would be very exciting if Balmero was able to come over. He had a very strong second half of his season, um, much you know, very much like Ant here um, for FC Barcelona um, in the ACB league. He was the most what was the what was the award he won? It wasn't most like outstanding player. It was a, a most spectacular player was the name of the award he won, which I think is not necessarily best player, but uh, similar to most exciting or um, something along those lines. It was the fanciest player. We're gonna call him Fancy Man from now on. But do they have an MVP? Isn't that? I don't know if they have an MVP. Uh, I'm I, looking I up feel like the article right I, now. I, I feel like every year, you know, when I see those articles come through, and it's I don't always follow it that closely because it's usually not a, a Wolves player. But I feel like when I've seen that, they never actually list an MVP. So I, I've always taken that role or that award to be their most valuable player, which. Yeah, it's we possible. Own- I've heard, I've seen conflicting reports on this one, but uh, the NBA.com story says uh, the number twenty-three overall draft selection, the twenty twenty NBA draft, Leandro Balmero turned has turned heads in the Spanish ACB league, Spain's top professional basketball league. Balmero, whose draft fights are held by the Minnesota Timberwolves, was recently named Liga's ACB's Jucador Mas Espectacular, the league's most spectacular player. The twenty-year-old has frequented international highlight reels with his dazzling game. Uh, most notably, the Argentinian is having his best season today, shooting 53% from the floor and 45.3% from deep in 33 Liga ACDB contests. Um, so, uh, past NBA players to actually uh, win the most spectacular player in ACB play in clay include Ricky Rubio. So, he won the honor in 2009-2010. So, I remember that. 
It would be actually, uh, he would be our rookie next year. It, you know, somebody to look forward to, somebody to actually pin some hopes on in terms of a role player coming in and helping out the team. So if the team's going to improve naturally, that's going to be one of the big points where it happens. Yeah, and I could see Rosa still trying to go out and acquire a, a pick, you know, in the 20 yep. to 30 range. Yeah, I there. was going to ask, what do you think the odds are that we actually end up with a first-round pick this year? I think it's... I think it's probably 60 40 that we do just because like we don't have a second round pick either. So yeah. if they're going to go acquire a pick, why acquire a second rounder? <laughs> you know, we we've had a pretty strong track record of signing undrafted players. So I think they would just go that route rather than pick up another second round pick. But I, I could see them going and trying to get a first round pick. And then especially with the last couple late first round picks that um, Rosas has made have been pretty, pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I think it, it yeah, better than, better than 50, 50 shot. Yeah. I mean, in, in those same hey. radio interviews that Rosas did today, he also mentioned a few times being open to the possibility of trading next year's pick already, depending on what the offers look like and what players become available. So, well, and especially in a draft that's deeper now, we're still not a team that's arrived. So you still are building pieces. So I could see them doing that. I could see them you know, making one of these trades for multiple players, whether it's Beasley and D'Lo or Beasley and Ricky or Beasley and some other combination of Wancho and Culver or whatever. Mm-hmm. And whatever player they get comes with a late first. There's so many teams that have multiple firsts. Right. Um, you know, OKC's got three. Golden State's got at least two, right? Two in the lottery. Yep. Um, Orlando, they got two Orlando's got two in the lottery. Yep. So, yeah, there's a lot of teams that have multiple first-round picks. So, I think some of those teams will be shopping those one of those picks. They're not going to, you know, not all of them are going to keep all those picks. Um, particularly OKC, which already had a pretty large roster as well. But um, we'll see what they do. But yeah, I, I, I just don't think Russ is going to stand pat and not have something going on in the draft. If for nothing else, just for the marketing aspect of it, how do you get fans excited for draft night when they do their draft parties and you literally don't even have a pick? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, exactly. And, and I do think Rosas is one of those. GMs that thinks about those things. He you know. tries to win the press conference. Yeah, well, you know, he just tries to keep the fans engaged. You know, because you know, selling tickets in this town is is more important than it is in some other towns because it hasn't always been a uh, sellout crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a question for you. So we've been talking a lot about Ben Simmons uh, potentially filling uh, the point guard role, but most likely sliding in as a do everything power forward next to Cat if. If the prices were the same with what we've seen this season and this offseason, how would you rank Ben Simmons, John Collins, and Miles Turner as Wolves targets? I would still have Simmons one, Collins two, and Turner three. But all three of them were guys I had in my trade scenarios. Yeah. So I like all three. I've liked Collins forever. I I don't know for sure that I like Collins as a trade target before the Wolves have been rumored around, mm-hmm. but I feel like I have because I feel like I've been talking about it for two years. Um, Turner is intriguing. So you know me. I like going the idea of going big because I think that's the quickest way to improve in the defense. And I think having Towns being such a good shooter and a you know he could score from everywhere that you can go big and it won't screw up your offense as well. Um, and so for the Wolf, for any team, I think going big will help your defense better quicker than it is trying to find a guard who can be an elite defender. 
Um, so adding Turner and letting him play the center spot and having Cat play the power forward, I think makes them a much better defensive team right away. And even on offense, I don't think you're losing anything because I think Turner's still a pretty good offensive player, at mm-hmm. least you know in that fourth or fifth option, which is what he would be on this. Right, he can this. shoot well enough to not clog the lane for Ant when he's trying to yep. to work. But he's yep. also he can also. I mean, the same thing with. He and John Collins fit very much the same role on offense where they're not going to be a ball handler. They're going to be a, if you need me to space the floor, I can space the floor. If you need me to be a rim runner on a pick and roll, I can be a rim runner. Yeah, I think Collins fits a little better, which is why I have yeah. my, like I've talked about him before. So that's, that's what, the only reason why I was bringing up or focusing a little bit more on Tur- Turner here was we just spent a half hour on Simmons and we've talked about Collins a lot before. So, um, but Turner's another guy. I mean, and, and I think Turner would come the cheapest now, especially because, Collins is going to take a Brinks truck at this point because of the way Atlanta's right. played. Yep. Um, he might be the hardest one to get out of the three now, you know, because of the way Simmons finished versus the way Collins finished. So, well, he would cost the most in assets, and you're also he's also going to get a max contract if you want to pull him out right. of Atlanta. I mean, Turner still has two more years at about twenty million a year, which seems downright cheap compared to these other guys at this point. Right. Well, let me add a fourth guy to that. Yeah. I, I mentioned earlier, you know, when we were talking about the uh, Kimba Walker type who's lost, his stock dropped, and they've already shipped him off. What about a guy like Przingis? Because I think you can get him pretty cheap now. Where would you rank him out of those four? Clearly fourth. Okay, so you think he's a significant step down from Turner and Collins? I think, I think you know that if you bring in Turner or Collins next year, you're going to be a better team. I think you are hoping if you bring in Porzingis that he can be better than he was this year that I mean the Porzingis we saw in the playoffs can't step inside the three-point line he can't even I mean, you could put a 6-1 point guard on him and he couldn't do anything against him and he also doesn't have the lateral quickness to be the defender that we used to see him being he's not a rim protector either so yep see I put him in that boat of like what Chris Paul was or I mean hell even Jay Crowder for the Suns were guys that teams have, or people have written off yeah. because of a poor fit in one, not Chris Paul was never a poor fit. His, him being written off is more his age. Everybody's yeah, people were gambling that he was going to fall off. Right. Yeah. Yep. As he should at his age, yeah, he right. should have fallen off by now, but he didn't. Um, so, I that, mean, so if you want to do a relation it's probably, you know, what Victor Oladipo was before he got to Indiana. I mean, cause he didn't, he wasn't really good in Orlando. He went to Oklahoma city. He couldn't find a spot there. He was traded to, uh, Indiana. Yep. Yeah. He was a borderline. Yeah. yeah. yeah borderline, you know, he was an all-star. He was a all NBA player and could take a chance on a guy that really couldn't find his place. And people would think we're had kind of hit his peak. So, um, Porzingis is the unfortunate thing is he's currently much below where his peak had been. And the real question is for a guy that's seven, three, did those leg injuries really sap his ability and his athleticism or, or, or is, is he still what, coming back? Is he, you know, is, is he, he still coming back? Right. Exactly what I was gonna say. And he's still young enough. And is it is he still coming back? And is the fit bad there with Luca, who's another big primary ball handler, mm-hmm. you know, kind of guy? So, um, I mean, I I get the point. There's been games where Luca was out and Porzingis didn't do much, but it could also be scheme. There, there's lots of things. I just think, you know, taking a gamble for a team like the Wolves. To get another guy who could be an all NBA caliber player, right? Who could be another number one A B C option? Um, it's something to consider because I don't think Collins 
and Turner ceilings are as high as what Porzingis' ceiling is already shown to be. I agree that he's probably the lowest of the four mm-hmm. currently, although I, I would put him neck and neck with Turner because I also think Turner could be getting could be had pretty cheap because I, they also have a redundancy between him yep. and Sabonis. Um, you know, and once upon a time, even at the trade deadline, Collins was that guy because I thought he could be had fairly cheap. He was a That's redundant not, player as well, right? Was yep. And so that that I think is that ship has sailed. Which so what I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to get over enamored with a playoff run by Collins and overpay for that when I can maybe underpay for a Porzingis or Turner mm-hmm. and get uh, you know because even Turner's had better days than what Collins is seeing today, you know, and maybe yep. because of the emergence of Sabonis has just fallen out of favor there, you know, because of the redundancy. And so that's why his, his numbers don't look as impressive as they do, but you know, getting one of those guys, like, so I guess I'm looking as a G, if I'm a GM playing GM role, I'm looking for the best bang for my buck. Yep. And I don't have to give up D'Lo to get Porzingis. I do have to give up D'Lo to get Simmons or Collins. Certainly. I don't think you have to give up D'Lo to get Turner either. No. Um, it would just be a, a Ricky and, and Beasley to get Turner and a Ricky and Beasley to get, Porzingis, and it's just because of contracts, um, you probably can get... I mean, so Turner is the one... The reason that Turner moves up is because due to his contract, it's Ricky or Beasley, along with another piece. And maybe you have to put in a pick. Maybe you have to figure something else out. I mean, it's it's going to be very similar to... I don't know. Do you think he's closer to Vucevic or closer to Aaron Gordon for the trades that Orlando made at the deadline? Turner? Yeah. Probably closer to Gordon. So, I mean, Gordon got a, a, a far out first round pick and a young player and then the f- salary filler. So I think Dane Moore did a, an episode on this where he essentially said, like, the equivalency is Rubio, Jaden McDaniels and a pick three years from now. You know, it, hopefully you can talk them into it not being Jaden McDaniels. Otherwise, I don't think Minnesota pulls the trigger. No, no. It, McDaniels is off the table. I yeah, think. I mean, he, he is. But it's just kind of like do we have somebody else that could fill that role? You know, if he's Aaron Gordon, if it's, if that's the price, the market's price for a player of that caliber, do we so have, what I, is it Nas Reed? You know, what I put together for Turner was Beasley and Culver. Yeah. So you're getting Beasley, the better player than Ricky yep. at this point in their careers. Um, more of what they would, they could use a, a shooter. He could kind of come in and play that Oladipo role mm-hmm. that they had there. And then you got Culver, who is a reclamation project, yep. a guy that you think you can maybe, he, he, he's a guy that can play a position that you don't have a lot of guys at right now. And a guy who's still young enough, who has shown some skills in areas that you maybe think you can develop. So, yeah, I mean, they're uh, taking a chance on him the same way that anybody would. Yeah. But, and they're only giving up a guy that frankly is their, their number two to Sabonis. So they're not, it's not a big risk to them. Yeah. And I don't know how many people are going to be knocking on the door to, to, you know, better that offer. So I think that's all. Yep. I mean, I, th- I think you and I both agree that Beasley would be, a, have more value than Rubio in a, in a trade offer. So um, hopefully, you know, you change the secondary piece there and that it makes a little bit more sense, but I mean, so that's the, that's the value in going after a guy like Turner is if maybe if, if it's a pick four years from now and those two, and then, it, you know, you swap the Beasley contract for the Turner contract and it fits better in your starting lineup. It makes sense. You move forward with that. Whereas these other guys, you're right. It is either a D'Lo or it's a Beasley and a Rubio to make the contracts work, or it's a D'Lo and a Beasley to make Ben Simmons, you know, to get Ben, ben Simmons. So the, the value that you're giving up plus the, having to pay a max contract to any one of those three guys 
yeah, I mean, you're locked into that's your team. I mean, if whether or not a Delo's going out and another Max contract's coming in, you're just as limited in your ability to spend as the Timberwolves are today. So um, it doesn't help you out at all there. So um, I think that would be the value of Turner is that he doesn't, he's not going to hamstring you moving forward with your future moves. But, right. But I, I think the Wolves are willing to be hamstrung if they get the right guy. Um, you know, they just have to be convinced that Collins or Przingis mm-hmm. are the right guy in, in these four that we're talking about. Right. Can they can they tell themselves that taking a chance on Porzingis is worth losing Russell on, you know? I, see, I, my scenario that I'm pretty sure works, it was just Beasley and Rubio straight up for Porzingis. Um, and, you know, Dallas is a mess. They got a new coach, new GM coming in. Um, and they got potentially Luca being unhappy. You got Porzingis being unhappy playing with Luca. You got all sorts of things going on there. I don't know what the offers are going to look like from the rest of the teams. I don't know how realistic it is. I'm just saying, I don't think you have to throw in D'Lo for Porzingis at this point. Cause I think honestly, D'Lo's probably got more value around the league straight up than Porzingis does. Um, so you throw in a, and I, I also think Beasley, Rubio, and Luca might be an interesting trio, and they still have other pieces there, I know. Mm-hmm. But I guess where that where that one falls apart is they still have they still have Tim Hardaway there, right? Still have Tim. And, Har- well, he's up for an ex- uh, extension. He's a free agent this year. So they'll probably let him go if they were to add a Beasley. Um, you know, they might do it anyway. But so I I don't I just don't think D'Lo has to be added to Przingis. I do I agree that at this point. Collins, I don't know how you get him. I don't. I just think Collins. I don't think they would. I mean, I think the only reason that Collins would become available is if a team was willing to offer him a max contract, and Atlanta decided they were too. They had spent too much money elsewhere to give John Collins a max contract. Because I don't. I can't see any way that that was in their budget heading even into these playoffs. Which is why I think they were shopping him at the at deadline was because they knew he was a rental. And I don't think even Atlanta and their wildest dreams thought they would. Get this be in far. The, yeah, Eastern Conference Finals. So yep. I can see him wanting to be back. But I can also, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was the, like, the guy that leaves and tries to take his success or his newfound notoriety to another team and lands himself a big contract out of this run, you know? For sure. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. Somebody's going to make him a big offer as a restricted free agent, and it's just a question as to whether or not Atlanta wants to match. So um, you, know, you know where he would fit? Portland. You he know, would Portland. If, if they had a way to do a, a deal. I mean, so maybe that's a CJ McCollum swap, but also why would they need CJ McCollum with the number of guards and wings that they have? So and, and it's a three way. A lot of these would have to be three ways. Cause all yeah. the teams that have guys that they would want to shop, the the guys that they need, they, 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 they both, they all have the same problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, the teams like Portland and Philly have a very similar problem. Like they have a two star team that has been in the playoffs multiple years in a row and it hasn't worked. And the guys are sort of, you know, like Portland, CJ and Dame are very redundant of each other. I've always felt that way. And I'm a big Portland fan. Um, but you know, they, I've always thought they should have moved CJ earlier um, and add a more complimentary piece to, yeah. for Dame. but I mean, it's, it's here. hard to move on from success though, especially when you're on your way up. I mean, it's, it's what we talked about in Philly. It's what, Philly is what we talked about with Portland. It's just kind of until you re- realize there's no more room to grow, it's hard to say, even though these two guys aren't a perfect fit, we got to get rid of one of them because we just, it's only the boldest teams will make those types of moves. Yeah. So any other, uh, any other trade targets that you've thought of besides 
those four power forwards? So I threw out another one, um, and only because of some other news that came out last week, which was Beasley and Rubio for Brandon Ingram. And the reason that I threw that out there, and it, it might, again, it might be a three-way trade. I don't know who else might have to get involved because I don't know how. I think Beasley fits in New Orleans because it, it helps open up space for Zion, who mm-hmm. is strictly a paint player. Um, but the Pelicans are another team at the mess. They fire their coach. Zion's family comes out and says he's not happy in New right. Orleans already. Um, so they might have to just make a move to, for the sake of making a move. It looks like Alonzo is gone there, so they don't they won't have a point guard, um, or they'll they'll have Bledsoe only. Mm-hmm. And I think Rubio would fill in for the Alonzo. Not that they were well. They've already said that they're shopping Bledsoe as well. Oh, okay. So there you go. Um, so you know that was one scenario I threw out there just because I know you're not as big of uh, Ingram fan as I am. I'm not. I also, even though I'm not, I would still be surprised if that would be what they would try to. Yeah, I'm sure target. they would get their offers. Yeah. I mean, I would. I wouldn't be surprised if they were calling, knocking down Philly's door right now to do to offer a, an Ingram for Simmons swap. That'd be kind of. I mean, it wouldn't make a ton of sense with Zion, but yeah, that's an interesting combo. I don't know; it could work too because Zion can get his own shot. I think I just think Simmons is a significant upgrade in talent over Ingram, sure. so it might create the same issues that Embiid and Simmons have right now in the that, long term. But that's a duo you could surround with three shooters, and it might work. Yeah, you know. So I, I just think there's a different value in a guy like Simmons or creating those types of problems when you're a team who has yet to make the playoffs and you're trying to get to the prom- get to that land to get to be a competitor versus a team that is trying to maximize a window. You know, if you could take if you could say the Timberwolves, you know what? Ben Simmons is an amazing 82 game player. He can be all NBA defense, he's going to be an all-star and he's going to have problems in the last 4 minutes of playoff games. The Timberwolves fans would be like, "Sign me up." Like if he gets us to the playoffs if we're a top six five four seed every year because we brought in this all nba defender is going to round out our team he's going to be good during the regular season we'll deal with the playoff problems when we get there and that's where philly was largely too coming out of the process but now they're to the point where simmons where Embiid only has a couple years left of his prime so they've got to maximize that window and try to win a championship now sure well so i have one other one so i have i had these buckets that i created and this was just the Beasley and or Ricky trades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One other one I had was Beasley and Culver. And, and I think it falls apart a little bit tonight because of the way the lottery played out, but Beasley and Culver to Detroit for Jeremy Grant. And I thought there was, and they would have a shooter and a young piece that they mm-hmm. could maybe develop in Culver. Um, Jeremy Grant can sort of be that Robert Covington Swiss army knife that the wolves kind of seem to need that can play, you know, multiple positions, but, you're starting for um and so you know i was i was just looking for what makes on all these i was looking for what makes sense for the wolves more than right. does it make sense for the other team and we could figure that out roses is that rare gm that the wolves haven't had before where i figure like let's just figure out what works for the wolves and he'll make it he'll and make it happen yeah i trust that roses can figure out a way to make make it work um so that was that one and then my other bucket was the deal of, how do you get a veteran that can be the the Chris Paul type. Yep. To take if the Wolves are the the next year's version of the Suns, who's that veteran we can get? And there was two scenarios. One's less likely, but one would be a sign and trade for Kyle Lowry, where we send out Beasley and Rubio. Um, but I don't know why Toronto 
there's not a lot of reason for Toronto to do that. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're going to get a lot for Kyle Lowry, if, even if they want to do a sign and trade. No, but um, it's like, why take the extra salary? Well, um, also, why would Kyle Lowry choose Minnesota? And that's the other part. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And then the other one would be a three-way trade. The Wolves send out Beasley and Culver. We we get Draymond Green. And Golden State trades Draymond Green and James Wiseman. And they get back Pascal Siakam from Toronto. And Toronto sends out Siakam and gets back Beasley, Culver, and Wiseman. Hmm. It's sort of their rebuild. Now they got three young guys. Um but now they moved up in the lottery, so who knows what's going to go there. Right. But if they had Van Vliet and Beasley, and Culver wouldn't be starting. But they have Wiseman for the center of the future. And, you know, now anyway, maybe with the pick, they still get Mobley as well. And they're, you know, they still have their two extremely athletic. Well, they, they also have other bigs there now anyway. But anyway, the, the point being Draymond Green becomes the Chris Paul for this Wolves yeah. team. I mean, I'd love to bring on Draymond. I, I think Golden State has talked themselves into a corner of having to run it back with Draymond Clay and stuff because of all the everything that they said over the past you know eighteen months of the fact that they're still a championship team with you know with those three healthy and um, I, mean, I don't wrong to be honest with you. I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I think they're just as competitive as any of the four teams remaining. Yeah. So and if you're you know as many rings as they've won, I think that you have to let Draymond retire a warrior. I mean, if, you know, I'm big on that when I, when a core guy is like, I, the last thing you want to see if you're a Warriors fan is Draymond playing in New Orleans and yeah. Steph playing in, for the Knicks and, you know, Clay playing in Toronto or something, you know, like you just don't want to see those guys all in different teams. The Warriors shipping out Draymond just as he gets, starts to get older would be the only thing that can make me hate the Warriors more. So, I mean, what... So the the Warriors got the seventh pick from Minnesota and due to the D'Angelo Russell trade, as we mentioned earlier. Do you think there's any value out there for them in offering Wiseman and pick seven and 14 to try to go get a a star somewhere else, whether it's a Bradley Beal or, I mean, it's not Giannis anymore. They used to talk themselves into Minnesota's pick and Andrew Wiggins for Giannis, but that was never going to be a thing. So, so, so it also had to be Wiggins, right? Right, so to be, fill the salary. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, depends how desperate Washington gets because do you I, think, do you think that's a better offer than what Oklahoma city could come in with if they wanted to offer well, just a bunch of, well, look, firsts? Oklahoma city can beat any offer yeah. anybody can have because they have 18 first round picks between now and mm-hmm. 2027. Um, it's, it, I mean, Bill could always pull the power play and say, I'm a free agent in a year anyway. Right. I want to go to Golden State. You know, it's the only place I've signed. No, they're, they separated from Brooks, so they're going to have a new coach. And yep. they could be like, okay, you know, we have all we have left is Westbrook. Yeah. And then a couple young pieces in that aren't, none of them are stars. They're all complimentary players. So, you know, Wiggins, believe it or not, and I'm, you know, the least likely to defend Andrew Wiggins, mm-hmm. but he be, probably becomes outside of Westbrook their best player <laughs> you know Rui Huchamara I like but he's not I would take Rui at this point over Wiggins but would you take him to start a franchise around or would you take him because he fits more teams than Wiggins fits you know what I mean mm-hmm. like he, Rui's not going to be able to put up 40 ever you know for you if he's the focal point on the offense whereas Wiggins can do that on okay like when Wiggins is on you know I I, I still think there's teams that can watch the Wiggins highlight 
yeah. stretch, his 10 game stretches twice a season where he looks like a, a player and talk themselves into, okay, he's still 26, 27. Mm-hmm. We, we can, uh, turn him into what he should have been. I don't know, you know, because it's, I'll concede Wiggins isn't the, the main piece here. You're getting yep. last year's number two pick and Wiseman. Yep. You're getting the number seven pick this year in a deep draft and the number 14 pick this year. Like that's a pretty quick turnaround rebuild. Right. Or a Bradley. You're not, you're not waiting years for those picks to come in. You're getting them right. all immediately. Right. right. Now. So that's why I think they could talk themselves into it, yeah. you know. And Wiggins isn't as bad of an anchor as a guy you're just going to buy out anyway, like mm-hmm. Andre Drummond when he was traded, or you know, uh, some of these other you know max guys that get flipped to a team and they get bought out and then they just go sign with Blake Griffin, you know, when he got traded this year. Um, there, Wiggins at least is a guy you can play for a couple of years, you know, whether you he's part of your long-term plans or not. He can, he can be the guy that bridges Beal and your number seven and number 14 pick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with your trade ideas, I went with, uh, I tried to take a look at the veterans too, because I absolutely think they need to bring some veterans into this team, especially if they want have any expectation of making a leap. It's the same thing as when KG and Tayshaun Prince were here and they actually made it, you know, turn the, the cat and Wiggins team into a contender, you know, from a, poor team to all of a sudden being a really good team at the end of the season or, you know, just kind of the guys that Tibbs brought in to be veterans around the team and, you know, go from a young team to a contending team immediately. And there aren't going to be players like that. You don't have the cap space. You don't have the the draft or trade equity to go out and get them. But um, I looked at Al Horford before he got traded. And then the next day, all of a sudden he wasn't, wasn't available anymore because he's back in Boston. I thought he would have been a really nice fit um, next to Towns. Um, just as a guy to come in and be a veteran in the locker room and to fill that that extra front court role, he wouldn't have been maybe the same have or had the same impact that the Turners or the Collinses would have had anymore. But at the same time, when you've got one full year and a partially guaranteed year in the second year to bring him in and be that veteran, and hopefully that pushes your team forward more so than just pure talent would. Um, so I agree with with the sentiment. I, I mean, when I was looking at free agents or upcoming, you know. One of the guys that I'd really like to see them target, especially if they made a trade involving Rubio or, you know, if the outlandish scenario of moving D'Angelo Russell actually happens, I, w- I would love to see, um, uh, oh, Goran, Goran Dragic um, be one of their targets. It would probably take the full mid-level to get him to come to a team like Minnesota, and I don't know how much he has left, but if he did two years at $9 million a year, $8.5 million, $8 million or whatever, if you could get him for that number, um, I think he'd be a really good fit coming from that heat culture for how, however long he's been there to just bring in a little bit more professionalism. Um, you know, as Anthony Edwards said tonight on the, on the broadcast, Ricky has been that, that mentor for him and that, that guy. So coming in every single day, ready to work and being that, that leader and that mentor. So I don't know if you can have Dragic and Rubio as your two point guards. I don't know how much sense that makes. You need somebody a little bit more reliable, a little bit more dynamic in that position. Um, so to, you know, they're supposed to have that leader in that position already. And that's Ricky. So, but just the, the value would be that if you did trade Ricky and brought in Dragic, he'd be half the price, you know, for this year, the year after. So, um, that'd be a guy that I'd like to see them take a look at. I would love to see them bring in Andre Godala just for a year, but I don't see him coming here. He's probably going to, if he plays somewhere, he's probably just going to go back to the Warriors on a minimum and try yeah, to I mean, fill he, a role he there. He refused so. to play in Memphis, right? So right. like. You know, why, why would he, he come play? here? Yeah. yeah. But he yeah. would be a guy that would make a lot of sense even at 37, 38 next year. Um, 
and, and you know we're bringing in any guys from that from that heat culture to try to just bring a little bit more professionalism in and give it another example some more you know adults in the room um but at the same time you want you know you want guys that can actually play still you know that's ed davis wasn't able to be that guy because he couldn't he just couldn't play anymore right um, yeah and i had a couple signings similar i i guess the only guy well the first one was nerland's noel mm-hmm. um you know and I, I don't know if he'll get offered more than a full mid-level um, based off his play this year. Or I can't see him. I can't see it. Last year, he was got for next to nothing, mm-hmm. basically a, a bag of potato chips. And I liked him last year. I, I wanted him just because of that defensive presence he could be alongside Cat. Um, so he'd be a guy that I would look at. And this is all assuming either we make no moves or whatever moves we make is right. for another guard. So this... I, if Again, we still have a hole as a, at a big, yeah. Yep, they're all big guys. There's only three of them. The other one is Paul Millsap. Um, again, I he doesn't have a lot left in the tank. The idea with Millsap is you bring him in and you retain Vanderbilt. And Vanderbilt probably starts for you, still plays 20, 25 minutes. Yep. And Millsap plays 20 minutes, you know. And um, and and you're, you're using Millsap to help groom Vanderbilt. But all the guys, you know as well uh, Vanderbilt just because of the same position and then the third guy and I know this is a guy you don't like as much but I again I think he could be a value guy because I don't know that he'll get a big offer elsewhere is Andre Drummond and then I would slide Cat over to the four and now you have a you know now your rebounding's solved mm-hmm. your shot blocking's solved you got two bigs there um and I again like I said it's a value guy and then you use Nas as your backup at both those positions and he's cheap enough where you can afford to spend that kind of money on two other bigs. Yeah. Um, so those were the three. And I didn't go through all the free agents. I was just purposely looking for a couple of bigs and there yep. might be even better options. Um, then those guys, I mean, Noel has always been one of my sort of pet guys that I always wanted. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I called out James Johnson as another one of the vets. He was here for half a season. We traded him for Rubio. So he's a free agent this year. I don't think he has much left in the tank, but it could be very interesting to um, see what he might be able to do just as a, I, I liked him as a veteran presence. I think he would have been a good guy to keep around if the sal- if it, it made sense salary wise, but. And, and he had some toughness, you know, yeah. for a team that kind of needs some of that toughness. What about a, a reunion with a uh, Robert Covington? Any interest? I would, oh, I would love to have Rocco back, but I don't. I mean, I, I could see him coming back because his relationship with Cat's so strong. Yep. Um, but I also kind of wonder how he feels he was treated here. Um, the only so the only evidence we've seen is that a week after being traded, he was seen sitting in the in the stands with Gerson Rosas at a Timberwolves game. So I don't know if there were any hard feelings with him after that trade. It's just a. And he doesn't seem like a guy that's like that no like he seemed like he seemed to legitimately like, enjoy his time in portland too but and in philly so yeah <laughs> like it's like he uh he just seemed like a great guy yeah. you know I, I you know but yeah i would take roko back in a heartbeat i don't necessarily know. know what position i'd want to bring him back as the power forward experiment didn't really work the, well the first time but we didn't have a Jaden mcdaniel emerge i think th- those two guys can be interchangeable because they're kind of so that's the thing. One of them has to be guarding power forward zone. It's just a matter of deciding: do you want to, do you want to put and, McDaniel's, who's the future, into not his optimal position, or do you want to put Rocco, who 
hopefully with McDaniels next to him can make more of a difference, but wasn't, it didn't work great last time it was here. So I don't know. Yeah, if... it, it does bring the team back to more of a smaller team when I'm yeah. trying to go bigger. Yeah. Uh, but I would still take it, which is why Jeremy Grant was one of the ones I targeted Cause I just, I suspect Portland's going to do what they can to keep Rocco. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe not, you know, he, he's, he's changed teams <laughs> so many times. Plenty so far. Yep. Yeah. So it's unfortunate for a guy as good as he is that he keeps getting kind of, you know, traded out. But uh, but Jeremy Grant was that other type of guy who's right. also been moved quite a bit. So that I, you know, thought that he would be a good fit. Although he, I think his because of his, he was able to put up bigger numbers when he was on a team with so little else that maybe his price tag is a little higher than Rocco's is right. now. Well, the options are endless. I'm sure there are guys that will end up on the team that we haven't talked about because there are a thousand guys we haven't talked about. Um, I tried to take a look at Utah to see if Bogdanovich or Ingles made any sense. I don't think the Timberwolves have what Utah would be looking for if they're looking to make a change. I know it was a big disappointment not getting past the Clippers, but I mean, what they need at this point is probably a stronger perimeter defender and the Wolves don't have any of those to offer. Um, and Conley was out for them, and he was, know. and he's a free agent now. So who knows how much they'll bring him back for, and whether or not he's he's still in the team. So I don't think that you know enough about that team to um, really make any offers there. And uh, you know, I looked at Boston. You know, with Brad Stevens coming in as their GM, I don't know. The big trade ship at first was obviously Kemba, and you know, I took a lot a long look at uh, Marcus Smart when I was trying to figure out a Ben Simmons trade. I, I tried to see if it made sense to move either Rubio or Beasley over to Boston and have, you know, along with possibly a pick and have Smart come back to Philly to give them, you know, Smart and Beasley, you know, in a trade for Ben Simmons to see if that would make more sense than um, uh, D'Angelo Russell. But uh, once once again, you never know what the value of these guys are going to be, especially once they get to the negotiating table. Dale or Moore is going to come in asking for Russell, Beasley, and four first-round picks and two pick swaps, and Rosas is going to come in offering Rubio and Beasley, and we'll see where, if they ever you know, find a spot in the middle. You know, I, and I have no idea if they're even going to talk. So, um, yeah, I, I looked at Boston. I looked at Jalen Brown. Um, had we got the top three pick, yeah, and then packaged him with uh, Beasley, Rubio, and then a top three pick for Jalen Brown and Tristan Thompson, who we would have to. Get rid of right away because Tristan Thompson has had mm-hmm. a relationship with Cat's now girlfriend, so that wouldn't work very well. But uh, I and Jalen Brown's probably not a guy that Boston's going to trade, but you never know because they're they're another team that's had success every year, but not not gotten over the hump. And you know, in previous years, they've sort of felt like there's not enough shooters there. And I don't Marcus Smart to me seems like. That's the heart and soul of the team. So I can't see them trading him. I don't really see them trading Jalen Brown either, but of the two, um, you have uh, Tatum, you know, and if you could add a shooting guard that can hit the, you know, three, uh, like a Beasley in Brown's spot, and you get a top three that's a Mobley or a Suggs, um, that could be big. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think Brown has so enamored himself to that community. I think he's he's in. And the thing with Smart is that he's the only has the only contract on that team that's of tradable size. The same way that we talk about Rubio and Beasley, and the reason why we include them in all, the, all these offers is because you know the same thing for Smart. He's got that fourteen fifteen million dollar contract, and he's the only one that can make a deal work without giving up one of your stars for one of their stars in return. So, um, 
he's in a lot of rumors. So I don't know how, you know, we'll find out pretty quickly here what Brad Stevens has thought about Marcus Smart these last few years. If he, if he still keeps him around and doesn't pull the trigger on a deal, then he's obviously been a fan. If he moves him out before the draft, then he's might have run his course. But Or if he moves him out like an hour after he got the job like he did with Kemba. With Kemba right. <laughs> it's kind of so. weird. So yeah, it's a long off season to come. We'll be back to talk about quite a bit more uh, next episode. When we come back next week, we will uh, go back to 1990, uh, take a look at how the the training camp and preseason worked out for the for the Timberwolves, and we'll uh, just talk about some of the the key storylines to watch out for. So, uh, Chad, this has been fun. It's unfortunately Timberwolves didn't get a, a top three pick, but at least it's behind us and we can move forward. Yeah, it's been it's it's always fun kind of talking these hypotheticals. So, all right. The, uh, Sure, we'll have more come draft time. Let's let's keep doing it. All right, man. (laughs) All right, brother. Talk to you later. Yep, later. Bye. Bye.